Hi, Len Power here again with Theatre of Power, my regular podcast focusing on theatre and related arts in Canberra and beyond. In this edition, I'll be talking about American Song, which is coming to the queue in Queanbeyan. There's also a screening of the silent movie The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, with live music accompaniment at the National Film and Sound Archive, and Family Values, which is coming to the Canberra Theatre Centre. In music, I'll be looking at a chamber brass concert and the first concert of the year by the National Capital Orchestra. I'll also be reviewing HMS Pinafore, Monty Python's Spamalot, and the delightful French movie Roxanne. And I'll have a few other items that I hope will be of interest along the way. Coming to the Q Theatre in Queanbeyan this Thursday, 5th of March, is American Song the latest play from Australian playwright Joanna Murray-Smith, who wrote Switzerland that was a big success here in 2018 with Karen Vickery and Lachlan Ruffey. American Song tackles the confronting and heartbreaking issue of gun violence. Andy's experience is common to many of us, the slow accumulation of a good life, love, work, friendship, family, but unforeseen events lead him to places he never imagined, As he heads off to work, he wishes his teenage son Robbie goodbye. Eight hours later, everything has changed. As he builds a stone wall on his property, you'll hear the anguished and bewildered voice of a man whose life has been shattered. Performed solo by Joe Petruzzi, the play reaches beyond national or cultural borders in an intimate exploration of love, forgiveness and parental responsibility and asks, What could I have done differently? Can we ever know the moment when a good life turns irredeemably wrong? Presented by Red Stitch Actors Theatre and Critical Stages, the show is running at the queue in Queanbeyan from Thursday the 5th of March to Saturday the 7th of March. In the Arc Cinema at the National Film and Sound Archive next Saturday, the classic 1920 German silent movie The Cabinet of Dr Caligari will be presented in a new digitally restored 4K copy with an original soundtrack composed and performed live by Ashley Hrebar. Considered a quintessential work of German expressionist cinema, and one of the first horror films ever produced, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is about a deranged hypnotist who uses a somnambulist to commit murders on his behalf. Robert Wien's film is widely recognised both as a precursor of psychological thriller films and a metaphor for the horror of tyrannical political power. A century after its original release... The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari maintains its reputation as a result of its dreamlike narrative style and landmark expressionist set design. Australian-born pianist-composer Ashley Hrebar is a versatile musician embracing multimedia, world music, cross-disciplinary art forms and a broad range of traditional genres. Ashley's compositions are polystylistic collages, often employing extended performance techniques, voice and electronics. An opportunity to see any silent movie with a live music accompaniment is not to be missed. I saw the film again recently, and it still has the power to shock and disturb with its extraordinary expressionistic style. It's playing one session only on Saturday the 7th of March at 6pm. Go to the National Film and Sound Archive website to book tickets. 
Next week, David Williamson's play Family Values will be in town at the Canberra Theatre Centre. In this comic drama, Roger, played by Andrew McFarlane, is a retired federal judge. On his birthday, all he wants is a low-key celebration with his wife and three children. But when one of his daughters, a left-wing activist, brings home an asylum seeker on the run from Nauru, old resentments start to resurface. At this family gathering, their values are laid bare. Politics, religion, sex, no topic is off the table. For 50 years, David Williamson has shown us the best and worst of ourselves, and this darkly comic drama promises to be situated squarely on the fault lines that divide Australia. Family Values plays from the 11th to the 14th of March in the Playhouse Canberra Theatre Centre. And have you got your tickets yet for this Saturday's Bushfire Support Concert, the Review for Recovery at the Queanbeyan Bicentennial Hall? In this gala event, Canberra and Queanbeyan's musical theatre companies will perform a selection of songs from musicals such as Chicago, 42nd Street, Funny Girl, We Will Rock You, Chess, Oliver and many more, all to raise much-needed funds for our local region's bushfire recovery. Every dollar from every ticket from this one-night-only event will go directly to the Braidwood Community Help Fund and the National Animal Rescue Group to support their continuing efforts to help our community and affected wildlife. Many local companies are performing, and you can book tickets through the Stage Centre website. There's another show next weekend, too, in aid of bushfire victims. It's Choice, a play by Viv Arnold, with incidental music staged in a dramatised play reading. It's a play about the role memory plays in defining who we are. The cast includes Fiona Hale, Lindsay Rowe, Terry Johnson, Elder Sutton, Neil Roach, Alison Garnsey and Janine Brer. It's in aid of South Coast bushfire victims who are members of the choir Glorious Mudsingers. It's on at 2pm on Saturday the 7th and also Sunday the 8th of March at the Queanbeyan Uniting Church, Rutledge Street, Queanbeyan. Tickets are available at the door, $10 concession, 15 full price and includes afternoon tea. At a media call last week, Free Rain Theatre Company officially launched their forthcoming production of the musical Mamma Mia!, it will be performed at the Q Theatre from the 28th of April to the 16th of May. The director is Jared West, and it will be choreographed by Michelle Heine. Over 60 million people worldwide have fallen in love with the characters and the feel-good music of ABBA. It's one of the most popular musicals ever. On the music scene, the Royal Military College Band Brass Group will be performing Chamber Brass, a program featuring works by Gabrielli, Bach and Piazzolla at the Wesley Music Centre on Wednesday the 4th of March at 12.40pm. It's one of the popular Wednesday lunchtime concerts. Entry is just $10 and includes a program and refreshments. The first National Capital Orchestra concert for 2020 has been announced. Being the year of Beethoven's 250th, they are playing the great Beethoven Fifth Symphony. Also on the program will be solo guitarist Matt Withers playing Australian Ross Edwards' Arafura Dances. Also on the program will be Richard Wagner's Prelude to Parsifal. Their guest conductor will be Louis Sharp. I'll have more detail for you about this concert closer to the date. It'll be performed at the Q in Queanbeyan, 29th of March at 3pm. 
For Sondheim musical fans, there are two major events coming up in Sydney. As part of their 2020 season of shows, the Hayes Theatre announced late last year that they will be performing Stephen Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along. This show, initially a flop in 1981 on Broadway, has undergone revisions over the years and continues to be performed. Whatever the original problems with the show were, it has one of Sondheim's most appealing musical scores, and an opportunity to see a live production is not to be missed. It's playing at the Hayes Theatre from the 16th of April to the 23rd of May. Announced just last week, Little Triangle Theatre Company will be presenting Stephen Sondheim's Anyone Can Whistle at the Seymour Centre in April. This 1964 musical was also a flop in its original run on Broadway and rarely gets produced. I've never had the chance to see it performed, so I won't be missing this one. Curiously, it officially opens on the same day as the Hayes Theatre's Merrily We Roll Along. The short season is from the 16th to the 25th of April, and they have two previews on the 14th and 15th of April. If you're wondering about the company Little Triangle who are presenting it, they were established in 2017. Their stated aim is to present underperformed theatrical productions that challenge audiences and performers alike at a low price point, in the hopes to expand, educate and diversify the music theatre audience. I saw their production of the Maury Euston musical Nine in September last year, and it was an excellent show, well staged, acted and sung. In the program for Nine, it stated that the professional theatre makers on this production are working unwaged. I imagine anyone can whistle will have the same arrangement in place, ensuring a high standard of production and performance. Go to the Hayes Theatre Company and Little Triangle websites for full details and links to book tickets. Last week, I was saddened to learn of the death of Diana Sarah Carey in the USA. It's probably not a name familiar to people down here, but she was the last living silent screen-era star. She started her career at 18 months old and was known as Baby Peggy and made over 150 short films and features between 1921 and 1923. Earning a fortune during that time, her money was squandered by her relatives and, broke, she disappeared into obscurity for over 50 years. She resurfaced as a formidable writer and screen historian and was instrumental in seeing laws passed to protect the earnings of child performers. Her books, Hollywood's Children, Jackie Coogan, The World Boy King, and her autobiography, Whatever Happened to Baby Peggy, make compelling reading. I had read and enjoyed her autobiography, and while staying in Hollywood to attend a film festival called Cinecon in 2012, I ran into her in the breakfast room of the modest hotel I was staying at. She caught me staring, smiled, and invited me to have breakfast with her. At the time, she would have been 94 years old, but you would have guessed her age as somewhere in the 70s. She was full of energy, obviously highly intelligent, very down-to-earth, and a delight to talk to. You can see examples of her films as Baby Peggy on YouTube, as well as interviews with her later in life, and I recommend all three of her books about Hollywood. She died last week, aged 102. Meeting her was one of those unexpected experiences that you remember for the rest of your life. This week saw two rather quirky shows here in the area, HMS Pinafore and Monty Python Spamalot. Both of them originally produced last year at the Hayes Theatre in Sydney. 
At the Q Theatre in Queanbeyan, HMS Pinafore was advertised as a reimagined, gender-bending, hyper-theatrical and kinky take on this Gilbert and Sullivan classic. This show certainly delivers what it promises and takes audiences on a very entertaining voyage with some of the strangest sailors you'll ever encounter. HMS Pinafore was the fourth collaboration by the team of Arthur Sullivan Music and W.S. Gilbert Libretto. It opened in London in 1878 and went on to international fame. It's performed frequently to this day. A satire on the British class system, it tells the story of a captain's daughter, Josephine, who's in love with a lower-class sailor, Ralph Rackstraw. Her father is determined she'll marry Sir Joseph Porter, the First Lord of the Admiralty, and Ralph and Josephine plan to elope. Complications ensue, of course, but all ends happily after a few contrived surprises. The style of music and the archness of the libretto can make this work a bit hard to take for people unused these days to operetta. Giving the show a wildly modern twist breathes new life into it, and this expert Hayes theatre production is sure to surprise and delight everyone. Director Kate Gall adds an anarchic sense of wackiness to the show with a gender-bending cast who know how to deliver funny lines with skill and timing. The parade of dazzlingly strange costumes, weird makeup, lots of glitter and crazy action add another level of enjoyment. What is especially notable with this production is the respect for the music. It's beautifully and clearly sung by the cast, all of whom can handle the operatic demands of the score. The cast also play the musical instruments on stage as part of the action. Musical arrangements for the smaller number of instruments give the show a pleasant and unique sound. The playing of the overture by the cast was a delight, setting the tone for the rest of the show. The ensemble cast of Twelve performed the show with gusto, never missing a trick. Amongst the group is Cambrus Tobias Cole, who was very funny and in fine voice as Captain Corcoran and father of Josephine. On the surface, the show was just crazy silly fun expertly done, but the quality of the music and singing showed why this show is still being performed over a century later. Over at the Playhouse in the Canberra Theatre Centre, I had a second dose of fun with Monty Python's Spamalot. This musical comedy was adapted from the 1975 film Monty Python and the Holy Grail, a parody of the Arthurian legend. The original 2005 Broadway production won the Tony Award for Best Musical and ran for over 1,500 performances. You don't have to be a Monty Python fan to enjoy this, but it helps. On opening night, the audience clearly knew and loved the set pieces from the original movie very well. Richard Carroll's production is a high-energy romp with a talented cast of eight playing multiple roles. The deceptively simple set of colourful painted backdrops designed by Emma Vine works very well. And the multitude of period and crazy costumes are great fun too. Kramer Kane is a handsome, stoic King Arthur. Josie Lane pulls out all the stops as a Shirley Bassey-like Lady of the Lake. Marty Alex is a very funny Sir Robin, and Blake Applequist is a riot as the aggressive Dennis from the farming collective who becomes Sir Galahad. He also excels as the head of the Knights of Ni. Abe Mitchell as Sir Lancelot and Rob Johnson as Prince Herbert and other characters are also excellent. Amy Hack wins the audience over as the almost invisible servant Patsy, and Jane Watt as Sir Bedivere is also an inspired comedian. Bronte McInnes cleverly makes her presence felt as the harried assistant stage manager. A limited number of audience members were seated on stage during the show. <laughs> you do so at your peril in a show like this, and you weren't exactly safe if seated in the storms either. 
do you make a habit of buying theatre programs when you go to the theatre? Those of us who review shows around town have noticed a worrying trend over the past year or so from more and more shows being presented by companies without producing a physical program. Some companies send a program digitally to you by email prior to the event, but if you want to have it with you at the show, you have to print it out before you go. It's annoying not having a program to refer to during the show when you want to check the details of who's playing a particular character during the performance. Without a program, you may have no idea who designed the set or did the lighting, sound or costumes. Those people have put a lot of work into the show and should be credited for it. As reviewers, we need to ensure we have the correct details of people involved with the production. Without a program, we often have to hunt around the internet to get the details we need. That can take up a lot of valuable time and result in errors. The danger with searching for details of a touring show is that actors may have changed during the tour. Some local theatre managers try to be as helpful as possible with this, but often they are not provided with the necessary information either. Even more important, without a physical program, there will be no record of a production after the event, and that show can disappear without a trace. There will be no record for posterity of the performers and technical staff who worked on a show. This physical evidence is important to heritage libraries and theatre researchers. This trend to no programs is obviously driven by cost. We don't need those big, glossy, full-colour $25 programs that may be a hard sell for companies with wastage or cost factor. A simple two-sided black-and-white A4 sheet of paper that provides enough details of cast and crew is all we need as reviewers, and then a physical record of the show exists for libraries and theatre history for posterity. I don't think it's too much to ask for that. With the 2020 Alliance French Film Festival coming to Canberra in a couple of weeks, I've been lucky enough to be able to preview a few of the films ahead of time. Writer-director Melanie Offray's movie Roxanne tells the story of a Brittany chicken farmer, Raymond LaRue, who likes to read excerpts from Rostand's play Cyrano de Bergerac to his flock with his gorgeous pet hen Roxanne by his side. When the all-controlling egg co-op cancels the contracts with the small chicken farmers of the district, Raymond enlists Roxanne's help with a scheme using social media to solve their predicament. We've seen little guy against the big guy's stories before, of course, but it's the quirky nature of this one that makes it a real winner. Roxanne in Cyrano de Bergerac was the hero's love interest, and so it's no surprise that in the movie, the hero's much-loved companion is a hen named Roxanne. The characters of this farming community are finely drawn and well played by the cast members. Their eccentricities are real and not caricatured. Melanie Orfray directs the movie at a deliberate pace with understated performances, keeping it all on a believable level. The slightly supernatural responses from the hens, and especially Roxanne, are very funny. There are some computer-generated imagery involving the birds, but it's mostly achieved through clever editing and sound. This film is reminiscent of those great Ealing comedies of the 1950s, such as The Titfield Thunderbolt and Passport to Pimlico. Gentle, satirical comedies involving recognisably human characters and situations. Roxanne is a delight from start to finish. You'll want to have a pet like Roxanne by the time it's over, too. Roxanne is showing in the 2020 Alliance Francaise Film Festival at the Palace Cinemas from 12th of March to the 8th of April. I'll have some more previews of the festival movies next time. The full reviews of shows I've seen around Canberra are published on the Canberra Critics Circle blog. 
I also review for Canberra City News and on Arp Sound FM 92.7 in Bill Stevens' In the Foyer program on Mondays and Wednesdays at 3.30. In radio on Arp Sound FM 92.7 this week, in his In the Foyer program, Bill Stevens will chat with the director of the forthcoming Hand Opera on Sydney Harbour production of La Traviata, Constantine Costi. His other guest on the program will be the director of the Alliance Francaise in Canberra, Patrice Gilles, who will be talking about the forthcoming Alliance French Film Festival. The program can be heard on Art Sound FM 92.7 on Monday the 2nd of March at 3.30pm and it's repeated on Wednesday the 4th of March also at 3.30pm. On Tuesday morning at 11am on Art Sound, I'm presenting another episode of my Broadway Musicals Yearbook series. This Tuesday, the show looks at the shows from 1981, including Sophisticated Ladies, Dreamgirls, Woman of the Year, and Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along, that I mentioned earlier as coming to the Hayes Theatre in April. Next Sunday at 5pm on Art Sound FM, my Broadway Musicals Yearbook program will look at the shows from the year 1959, including Gypsy with Ethel Merman, Once Upon a Mattress with Carol Burnett, and The Sound of Music with the original Maria von Trapp, Mary Martin. Bill Stevens' program from the archives of the School of Arts Café in Queanbeyan, Red Velvet and Wild Baronia, will have a taste of genuine European cabaret when Fifi L'Amour and Rodolfo Ravisson perform excerpts from their program of European cabaret songs. You can hear it on Tuesday from 3.30pm on Art Sound FM. And next Sunday, it's my turn to do my monthly hosting of Sounds Classical on Art Sound FM. I'll be presenting music by Respighi, Paganini, Verdi, Gershwin, Piazzolla and others. I'll be glad to have your company between 2 and 4pm on Sunday for that program. Well, it's been a busy week again in Canberra in the performing arts. I'll be back with another podcast soon. Please subscribe to my podcast and like and share my Facebook page, Theatre of Power Podcast. This is Len Power with Theatre of Power. The original music for this podcast is composed by Chris Oppert. Chat again soon. Got to get to a theatre now. (laughs) 